0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom (laughs) let's get started with the episode Long May She Rain, presented to you by Aiden Fitzgerald. Oh, that that was a good one. I liked that one. Hey guys, what's up? Uh, welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well and I'm so so sorry that this episode is, like, super late. I've had a lot to do with the end of the semester. I, you know, did all my exams, one of which I almost failed, but, like, I passed. It's fine. It's, like, kind of a bad grade, but, you know, I can make it up with all the other grades I've been doing. It's just one class. It's fine. It's fine. And also, uh, you know, I've been moving back to my house Um, I don't fully have control over my own room quite yet. My grandma has come to stay with us for two weeks. And, you know, as the older sibling, of course, I'm the one who has to give up my room. So I'm sleeping in my mom's room for two weeks. Don't have full control back over my bedroom but gosh i missed this place i missed my queen bed i missed being able to just go to a fridge and grab food instead of trekking thousands of miles down to the dining hall to get you know somewhat subpar food i really missed home missed it so much things are actually going really great uh my brother has a job now very very proud of him he works at a honda plant which is something i never really saw for him but He seems to love it, and he's doing really well in it, I'm very, very proud of him. Uh, Let's see, what else? Oh, I start my job in a couple of weeks. I am so excited. You know, I actually miss working. Is that crazy? That's actually how bored I am, because I still have like two weeks until I go back, and that's just training, and I am so unconstitutionally bored. Is unconstitutionally the right word? I don't think that's the right word. (laughs) Anyway, I'm really excited to get back. Um, Actually, one thing I wanted to say before I started this episode, because I've, as you guys have probably seen on my Twitter, if you guys follow me on Twitter, uh, recently I haven't been getting a lot of nice comments on my podcast, and you know, people are entitled to like whatever they like. I don't fucking care if no one likes my podcast. I I do it for me because I think it's fun. But I got one review about this show saying, I'm assuming it was from a parent, uh a mom most likely saying that her daughter couldn't like concentrate on the content of the show because i swear too much and that she was using it for her homework warning don't use me as a homework source i am not a professional historian at least not yet i'm in the middle of getting a history degree i try my best to make sure all the information on my episodes is accurate and correct, but I am not peer-reviewed. I do not recommend using me as a homework source at all, so just, like, don't do that. And also, I have a swear warning before this episode starts. Like, if you didn't, if you skipped that, that's on you. I put it up there so that people who don't like swearing don't have to listen to my show. Just saying. All right, enough about me. Enough about all that. Uh, today, we are talking about Zabel First, Queen of Armenia, and I had never, ever heard of her. Now, uh, Usually what I do when I want to find new and interesting uh, queens to do episodes about, I usually, like, pick a country, and then just, like, if they had a monarchy, go through the list of monarchs and see what queens I can find and, like, how much content is out there about them, and when I was looking at Armenia, which is a country I don't know a lot about, I found Sabel. Uh, there's not a lot of information out there on her, <laughs> so this is a very difficult episode to write, but her life is still really interesting, and I, I got to learn a lot about, like, the Crusades and Armenia as a country, and I hope you guys are really excited to hear about it, too. Let's get into it. All right. So Queen Zabel the first of Armenia was likely born either on the 25th or 27th of January in the year 1216 in the Kingdom of Armenia Minor to King Leo the first of Armenia and his second wife Sabella of Cyprus. Now of course with her being born in late January she is an Aquarius, which is a rarity on this podcast. We don't we haven't covered a lot of women who are Aquariuses. I think we've only ever had um two women ever, like, 100% confirmed as Aquariuses, and I think that was, uh, well, Elizabeth of York, for sure, she's my favorite Aquarius, and, uh, Alice Alice Roosevelt, right? Yeah. Now, one of the defining traits of Aquariuses is that they are forceful, which I think is uh, pretty accurate to Zabel. While we don't know much about Zabel personally, and I've had to like piece together her personality in life with like scraps, there are moments in her life where she kind of shows this kind of like really forceful personality and a lot of agency in this inklings of like a really strong woman despite the fact that she's not overly well known because she didn't do many meaningful things in her time in power. Now I'm hoping that this study of her in this episode will either change people's minds about her at the very least introduce the world to a little known medieval queen but first we need some historical context about what Zabel is being born into because trust me it's crazy I learned a lot about the crusades and it is whack. All right I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Studying the Kingdom of Armenia during the Crusades for this episode has been like tough on my brain because it's definitely a time period that's not easy to simplify. <laughs> uh, there's just so much history and so much backstory that I need to explain to you guys for Zabel's situation, political situation, makes sense. So I'm sorry if I mess anything up with my info. I am, in fact, trying my best at all times. All right. So Zabel's family, the House of the Rubenids, were originally an Important nobleman in the kingdom of Greater Armenia. However, as many Armenians did in the 11th century, uh, Reuben, the house's founder, was also forced to flee Greater Armenia after the Seljuk Turks and the Byzantine Empire either invaded or destabilized Armenia. Now, Armenia at the time was where Armenia is now, um, but in the fleeing of Greater Armenia, Reuben fled to, uh, oh, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce this right, Silesia? C- C-I-L-I-C-I-A. Silesia? That's probably not not right. Anyway, uh, Silesia is basically on the southern coast of Turkey, and it was under Reuben's leadership that the kingdom of Armenia Minor was built and was carried on by his descendants, such as Zabel. However, uh, Armenia Minor really got down to business as the Crusades happened, especially during the First, Second, and Third Crusades. Now, Armenia was like really down with the mostly Frankish people coming towards the east to, you know, reclaim the Holy Land and stuff. And Armenia Minor really embraced them by basically westernizing themselves, kind of like abandoning a lot of their like West Asian traditions. After all, uh, Armenia, I-, I feel like a lot of people don't know this Armenians are Christian. And um, at the time, were very anti-Islam, so it makes sense that Armenia would be like totally chill with helping the like Franks establish Crusader states, like the Kingdom of Cyprus, uh, the Kingdom of Jerusalem, the Principality of Antioch, all in an effort to get back at the very people who had forced them to leave the Armenian homeland. Now, no one was more into westernizing Armenia than Zabel's dad, Leo I. And he basically, like, kind of set the precedent for what Armenia was going to be like for a while. Now, since we're talking about him, let's get to know Zabel's dad, Leo. Now, Zabel's dad, Leo I, is considered either, either the first or the second king of Armenia, which is, like, a whole complicated distinction because technically his grandfather claimed the title of king of Armenia. Uh... But, like, Leo actually got, like, permission from the Pope to call himself that, which kind of, like, makes it more legal and, like, religious in, like, the world's eyes. But for, like, sanity's sake, let's consider Zabel's dad, Leo, the first proper king of Armenia. Now, during his reign, Leo established Armenia as an incredibly powerful kingdom on par with many of the big European powers like France and England, and was a massive help to those two powers during the Third Crusade. He provided English forces with guides, pack animals, provisions, as well as including his own armies in several battles. He also increased trade relations with Genoa and Venice, which made Armenia literally rolling and money. I mean, Venice and Genoa were doing great at the time, and him, like, allying himself with them made him stinking fucking rich. Now, Leo was also popular with his people as they saw his actions as kind of like a rebirth of the great Armenian kingdom that uh, their ancestors had once known. Now, basically, Leo made Armenia great again. (laughs) Which, in this context, was in fact very good for Armenia, and like how it was for America. Um, Now, you would expect that since Zabel's dad was a totally awesome ruler, that she would have had very few problems other than the fact that she was, you know, a woman trying to rule the country one day. Well, uh, check the timestamp, kids. We are very far from done. (laughs) Because even though Leo had done a good job as king, he failed in one major area, and that was the line of succession. Now, Leo's first wife was named Isabella, and while we don't know much about her, we do know that she and Leo had a daughter named Stephanie, who was Zabel's older sister and basically the main claimant to the throne, and would cause problems for Zabel's succession initially. Now, after Leo's first wife died, Leo married Zabel's mom, Sabella, who we also don't know that much about, other than the fact that she was a genius political match on Leo's part she was the daughter of the first king of the crusader state of Cyprus and her mother was the sole queen of the crusader state of Jerusalem so Sybilla was like she was kind of like the Catherine of Aragon of the crusader states like her mom was like this like independent powerful queen of Jerusalem who I really hope to do an episode on one day and then her her dad was also this kind of like forced to be reckoned with. But um Sabilla doesn't really play a large role in Zabel's life as she dies when Zabel is a kid. Now basically it's this succession shit show the minute Zabel is born where she has no brothers, just an older sister, which isn't like a stable thing, especially because Armenia Minor is so young. And this kind of like succession crisis is going to define Zabel's entire childhood actually her entire life really but before we get into that let's talk a bit about what her childhood might have been like such as her education upbringing and what she may have looked like actually now my assumption is that because Zabel's dad was trying to heavily westernize Armenia that he probably would have had his daughter raised and educated like the princesses in Europe were being educated so I'd like to assume that she was taught you know all the typical things princesses in Europe are being taught like singing dancing needlework and also since she like signed things like we have Zabo's signature I assume that she had some ability to read and write although she could have had like a scribe to like sign things for her if she couldn't do that but she might have been able to read and write she also could have reasonably spoken other languages like uh latin french um and armenian which i recently learned is like an actual language and is actually a really cool language and she probably also would have had uh, religious instruction i believe armenians are generally orthodox christians I'm not really sure on that, but she probably would have had a pretty intense uh, Orthodox Christian religious education. Now, Zabel also would have grown up in absolute freaking luxury with a governess to raise her and access to the best food and clothes that her dad could buy her. However, I assume Zabel's childhood was also, like, really lonely. I mean, her older sister, Stephanie, was, like, married off when Zabel was, like, really little. Like, I think, like, three or two or something like that uh not to mention stephanie didn't really like zabel for like a couple of reasons which we'll discuss in a second now Zabel's dad was also off being like an a plus king and her mom died when she was like three so for most of her childhood she was probably spending most of her time with people who were paid to raise her which is really sad (laughs) but it's also like really on theme with about like how her life is about to go like being this like sad child queen Now, as for what she looked like, we don't have any contemporary portraits or art of her other than coins that she had minted, which, you know, don't really tell us a lot about her. I mean, a ruler can shape themselves to look any way they want on coinage. I mean, just look at Cleopatra. (laughs) But what might help us a little bit is looking at her ancestry. Now, her dad's side, for the most part, is filled with ethnic Armenians marrying more Armenians until the crusaders come in and start setting up powerful crusader states. Now, many of the women from these families started marrying into established kingdoms so Zabel has a decent amount of French crusader ancestry from her mom's side. Now recently she could have come out looking, you know, more French with Western European features like being uh pale, having light eyes, light hair, stuff like that. Uh but who knows, maybe her dad's jeans were stronger she could have come out looking really west asian with dark hair uh tan skin dark eyes kind of like kim kardashian she's half armenian maybe she looked like that now one thing that is agreed on about Zabel is that she was considered very pretty for her time and you know a lot of beauty standards back then were based on western european beauty standards so maybe she did look more like her mom so we have we have that to go on now I like to call this section Crusader Politics Go Boom, because they go boom. Um, Since Zabel's dad had no sons, and no prospect of having any, because, well, uh, Zabel's mom was dead, and it didn't look like uh, King Leo was really interested in remarrying anytime soon. Um, As, like, a safety net, Leo named his grandnephew Raymond as his heir, and in an effort to make uh, good political alliances for his heir... Leo had Zabel engaged as a toddler to this guy named Prince Andrew. No, not that one. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> this guy's okay, at least from what I've read about him. This Prince Andrew was the son of King Andrew of Hungary. And Hungary was meant to be kind of like a solid ally for future King Raymond. But it ended up falling through because King Andrew of Hungary was like, oops, Russia has more gold than you, and broke off the engagement and married little Prince Andrew to a Russian princess. But it didn't end up really mattering in the end because, like, this whole succession plan with, like, Raymond sort of fell apart really quickly. In May 1219, Zabel's dad got really sick and out of nowhere, like, completely unannounced, changed the succession to make his heir not his adult daughter, Stephanie, not his already named adult nephew, Raymond, but his five-year-old daughter, Zabel. (laughs) What is up with that? Like, what? (laughs) What? Just, you two perfectly capable adults, and he named a five-year-old to be queen. <sighs> now, basically, what I've been able to infer is that King Leo got into a, like, a massive blowout fight with his nephew, Raymond. And, like, like just before he got sick. So he decided it was not a good idea to let him be king. Now, as for skipping over Zabel's older sister, the only reason I can see... Him, like, skipping over his daughter Stephanie is that maybe King Leo thought that Stephanie's husband was, like, shady and didn't want him in control, or he just- maybe he just didn't like Stephanie or something, like. (laughs) Either way, sucks for Stephanie. Um, After King Leo died, the nobles of Armenia proclaimed Zabo Queen and placed her under a regency which would rule on her behalf until she was at least 14 or 15 years old. Now, I'd tell you about Zabel's regent Adam of Bagros, but I wasn't able to find much about him, and um, also he was, like, assassinated five months into the job, uh, because succession crises always breed a good assassination. (laughs) Now, speaking of succession crises, now that Adam of Bagros is dead, Zabel is uh, very vulnerable as a little five-year-old on the throne who, like does not know what's going on. And Raymond and sister Stephanie were kind of like locking into that vulnerability. You see, both cousin Raymond and sister Stephanie were massively pissed that they had been skipped over to be rulers of Armenia, and both of these factions were trying very very different strategies to get the throne. Um Stephanie and her husband went to the pope to make the argument that Stephanie as the oldest child of the king should be recognized as queen and not be skipped over for Zabel. Um The Pope actually agreed with them and literally gave them, like, written papal permission to go and take the Armenian throne out of Zabel's little five-year-old hands, but it did not really go very well for Stephanie and her husband. Um, On the way to sail to Armenia, Stephanie died, like, out of nowhere, and it's rumored that her husband, John, may or may not have beaten her to death because Stephanie may or may not have tried to poison uh, her stepdaughter, which sucks. (laughs) Um, not too long after this, uh, Stephanie's young son died and Zabel's brother-in-law no longer had a claim to the throne because he didn't have any kids by Stephanie anymore. Um, so he's, he's no, John's no longer relevant to this story. It was like a whole disaster for him when his wife and his son died. Yeah. (laughs) Now, as for Cousin Raymond, he had a little more success than Stephanie and John did in raising support for his claim and getting an army, since he had already been named, like, a lot of people who were, like, really on his side. Um, he had decent support from some nobles and the church, not to mention uh, Raymond's mom, Alice, was, like, pretty crafty and, like, oddly good at war and helped Raymond invade Armenia. However, uh, their rebellion was quickly crushed by Zabel's shiny new regent, Constantine of Babylon, who quickly had Raymond arrested and his wife, mom, and two daughters exiled to Cyprus. (laughs) Now, finally, at the age of seven years old, two years of war, Zabel was safe on her throne with uh, no one out there to overthrow her or murder her, which must have been nice at seven years old. I also uh, wouldn't have wanted to have been murdered at seven years old. (laughs) Um... (laughs) You know, that doesn't seem like good stress to have before you even hit puberty, you know? Like, people trying to actively murder you? Hmm. Now, after this brutal two-year civil war, Armenia was vulnerable vulnerable because, you know, there's a seven-year-old on the throne. And civil war had divided the nobility and alienated Armenia's close allies. So the regent, Constantine of Baberon, had to get crafty, so he decided Zabel needed a marriage alliance and fast. Now, Constantine decided the best place to look for a husband and ally for little Zabel was in the neighborhood, sorry, the neighboring (laughs) crusader territory of Antioch. Now, this alliance made good sense since Cousin Raymond had actually fought to take both Armenia and Antioch, so with him dead, they felt it was a good idea to team up with Antioch again. Now, the Prince of Antioch, uh, Bohemond IV offered his fourth son, Philip, as a marriage prospect for Zabel, which was good because as a fourth son, he had no inheritance, so no succession issues to deal with on his end, and his father promised Philip, uh, sorry, his father promised that Philip would, uh, convert to the Armenian church and respect Armenian tradition if he did. Now, Philip arrived in Armenia in the summer of 1222, and before the wedding, he swore an oath to uphold Armenian tradition. Now, in 1222, Zabel had just turned seven years old, while Philip was about 26 or something like that, which is... But at the very least, uh, Philip wasn't even allowed to look funny in Zabel's direction until she was like 15, so I'm glad they protected her from that for- till at least she was like in her mid-teens. Um, Now, we don't have any descriptions of their wedding, but I still thought it might be fun to discuss some, like, traditions and customs of Armenian weddings because I don't know if we're ever going to get the chance to talk about Armenia again because, like, there's not a lot of women that I have on my giant master list of uh, episode ideas that, like, are from Armenia. So, let's discuss Armenian wedding traditions. Now, Zava likely would have had a dress made out of red silk and a belt that could be purple or red with the words, for the joy of what will be worn, with her name on it. Uh, she also probably would have worn a chain with pearls and a headdress or a crown with coins on it that would clink and scare away bad spirits, which I think is really cool. Uh, Philip probably would have worn an embroidered green suit, that and they would have been married by tying three ribbons of red, white, and green around their hands uh, by an Armenian priest. Now, after having money thrown at the two of them, they probably would have had a nice reception, which which I'm sure included a bunch of traditional Armenian food, but probably also, like, some, like, Western European food, like, maybe a leg of mutton or something. Um, Probably would have been a fun night, although I can't imagine what, like, a seven-year-old would have thought about this. But I'm sure, you know, being a little kid, she must have been like, oh, is this party for me? This is, like, really fun. Oh, I'm getting married? I don't know what that means, you know? Um, no, at first, with Sawbell and Philip's marriage, it seemed to be a rousing success. I mean, they got along well enough. I mean, as much as a 26-year-old and a 7-year-old can get along. And, uh, Philip was winning hearts and minds when he won a big military victory against the Turks. But, uh, after that, it started going downhill. Extremely fast. Like, very fast. Do you guys remember that promise that Philip had made, like, a couple minutes ago to respect Armenian tradition and, you know, blend into the culture like he promised to do? Well, he started to not do that very quickly after becoming king consort. Um, Philip spent pretty much as much time as possible uh, after the wedding kind of, like, ignoring his wife, for the most part, uh, and he showed huge favoritism towards his French advisors and refused to adhere to Armenian apostolic rites, which was something he had literally stood up in front of a room and swore to witnesses that he would do. Now, after two years of his bullshit, Sibyl's regent, Constantine, decided enough was enough and staged a revolt against Philip's rule as king. Now, Philip knew his position in Armenia was weak and that the nobles there didn't like him, so he decided to pack up 9-year-old Zabel, and by pack up, I mean kind of kidnap her, and decided the best course of action was to run back to his daddy's house to get help and fight this war with his 9-year-old bride on his hip. Um, Unfortunately for him, Constantine ends up intercepting Philip and Zabel on their way to Antioch and ends up imprisoning Philip for apparently stealing the Armenian crown jewels. Like, that's what he was charged with, but, like, he low-key, like, kidnapped the queen. Like, she's 9. She can't consent to, like, being take an Antioch like but anyway he was charged with stealing the Armenian crown jewels even though he didn't do that um philip's dad was like really pissed that his son was being in prison and tried to negotiate with constantine to like have him released but constantine wasn't really interested in negotiating because he wanted to kill philip and that's exactly what constantine did um officially philip died in prison but he was almost definitely poison which almost caused an international incident with philip's dad but luckily one of uh antioch's Prime allies uh in the war switch sides before Antioch could even make a move. So Antioch backed off, and the whole thing just kind of like fell off. But Zabel's regent Constantine wasn't done scheming quite yet. <laughs> you know, I'm actually curious what Zabel thought about the whole thing. Like, imagine you're like married to a guy for two years from seven to nine, and like he low key kidnaps you, and then he just like dies in prison, but like he was actually poisoned. Like, that's a lot to go through at nine shit. Anyway, um, Zabel knew at nine years old that she was kind of like in a bad predicament now that she was free to be married. And she was worried that Constantine might have her married to someone like worse than Philip. So she at like nine or ten years old was like, I'm going to peace out. And she fled to this castle called Silly Flick-, S- <laughs> Silly Flick Castle. It's spelt weird. It's spelt S-I-L-I-F-K-E. How would you even pronounce that? I have no idea. She fled to a castle. It was a stronghold with, like, a Catholic military order. Kind of like the Knights Templar based operations. And she she declared sanctuary because she did not want to get married again. Very, very Elizabeth Woodville of her. Except She doesn't declare sanctuary twice. It's only once. And Zabo was like, I'm not moving. You can't freaking marry me off again. I am an independent ten-year-old. Uh, but this was not flying with Constantine, and he was, like, not about to lose, like, this argument to a ten-year-old girl. So, he tried to siege the castle, and when that didn't work, he tried talking to the knights protecting her, who, uh, rather than, like, immediately handing her over because, you know, she 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 declared sanctuary. They were a religious order they couldn't like hand her over uh they kind of like found a loophole in being able to give her over they sold the castle to Constantine with her in it so like they didn't technically hand her over they handed over the castle that she happened to be in and Saba was now back in Constantine's control which like really sucked for her like I can imagine that scene of him just like walking in and her being like you said you were gonna hand me over to Constantine, and the knights would be like, "We sold the castle, not you." And yeah, anyway, um, Constantine didn't really look very far for of Zabel's new husband and forced her to marry his son Hetium, and not only crowned Hetium king, but also made Hetium uh, an official co-ruler with Zabel, and he was crowned as Hetium the First King of Armenia. Now, in, in good news for Zabel, in this case, Hetium was much closer in age to her, as he was only 13 and she was 10. So, really, they were both children and pawns. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> at first, Zabel wasn't really into being married to Hetium. Like, I mean, she literally threw a whole tantrum and locked herself into a castle at 10 years old in order to avoid being married to someone else but i think the problem for her was the fact that she hated how constantine had like kind of treated her and was also like probably like a little insulted that she had married his son and was like forced to be a co-ruler with him when she was meant to be you know the sole queen so she avoided officially consummating the marriage like well into her late teens like i'm sure it was probably expected that they like you know, consummate the marriage when she was, like, 15, but she waited a lot longer than that. Now, we don't know much about what Zabel actually thought of Hetium, or if she grew to love him over time, but considering they managed to have, like, seven kids and co-ruled pretty well, I think she must have, like, kind of gotten really used to him. I mean, like I said, they were both children, they were both pawns. I'm sure she could understand that Hetium also had no choice in this marriage, and I, I like to think that they were like you know friends and partners, not necessarily in love, but friends and partners. I like that narrative. Now, before we discuss the you know shit show of politics that Zabo and Hetziam had to navigate together, let's talk a bit about the kids they had together. Now, their first uh, three children were girls: uh, Euphemia, Sibilla, and Rita, which is a very interesting. Like it's Rita sounds like so modern, like someone. Like, I feel like my grandma could be named that. <laughs> but Rita's actually a really old name, and I didn't know that. Um, after their three girls, they had their first son, who they named Leo, of course. And then a second son, Thoros. And finally, two younger daughters, Zabel and Marie. Now, we'll get into their stories in later. Sorry, later. Uh, because now, it's time to talk about the Mongols and why they were such a fucking problem for Zabel and Hatium. Um Now, when the Mongol commander... Baiju, attacked the Sultanate of Rum. Uh, The Sultan of Rum called on Hetiam and Zabel to come to his aid because they were allies. And I believe they were neighbors. I think the Sultanate of Rum was, like, right next to them. Now... Hetium didn't think it was wise to anger the Mongols, and he ended up being right when the Mongol army, like, crushed the Sultanate of Rum. And like many places that didn't want to be conquered, Armenia kind of became like a vassal state of the Mongols. Uh, This happened to many uh, Middle Eastern kingdoms and crusader states. This actually happened to uh, King Tamar's daughter, uh, who was forced to submit to Mongol rule whether she wanted to or not. And it was probably the same situation with Zabel and Hetium. Um, the support, well, Armenian support of the Mongols would continue well after Zabel died and would eventually lead to uh, one of her sons dying and the other one spending several years as a prisoner of war. Now, even though Zabel is thought to have been a very passive uh, in co-ruling with Hetium, uh, with like Constantine supervising, there's actually a decent amount of evidence. She made a lot of decisions decisions and was like a real queen and co ruler uh zabel co-signed many laws um ordered many bits of charity she built religious centers um as religion was apparently super important to her but other than that we don't really know much about her as a ruler but i like to think that she was a little more um oh what's the word forward in control than we like to think she was. I mean, just because she wasn't out, like, leading armies like Isabel of Castile doesn't mean she wasn't super involved in the kingdom. I like to think she was. Now, uh, sometime in the year 1252, Zabel died k- kind of unexpectedly in-, in her mid-30s, too. She was very young. She, w- she wasn't even 40. But we're, like, not really sure how she died. Maybe she caught, like, a sickness because this is the 13th century or got an infection because this is the 13th century. Um... We just we just don't know why she died. But we do have a, a description of her death by a chronicler of the time, which I am going to eloquently read to you. <sighs> the queen being near the end of her life and staying in a place called Ked, she heard a voice from heaven crying aloud, Come, my dove, come, my love, the end is thine near. She felt joyful in this happy vision, imparted it to the bystanders, and died in the lord her body was brought to the grave by a large assembly of the priesthood and laid in the consecrated earth. That's so nice. I like that. That's such a pretty description of her death. I wonder if, like, she did actually say she, like, saw someone calling her towards heaven. I wonder if she, like, thought of, like, her parents. Because she seemed to, like, really like her parents. That's sweet. I'm sad that she died in her mid-30s. That's so sad. Anyway, she was buried in the monastery of Trazag, and her husband eventually abdicated uh, 20 years later in favor of their oldest son, Leo, and became, like, a monk, but, like, died a few months later, so, like, he, he didn't really need to, <laughs> to abdicate, like, his- he died, like, five months after his abdication. Anyway. Before we get into Zabel's uh, legacy, let's talk briefly about her children and what happened to them. Her oldest child and daughter, uh, Euphemia, was married to Julian of Sidon, who was, like, a disaster of a husband for her. But that's, like, another story. Maybe we'll get into Euphemia one of these days. I think there might be enough to actually do a full episode on her. Anyway, Euphemia did not have fun. Um, Zabel's daughter, Sibylla, married into the royal family of Antioch and spent many years as a regent in Antioch and was a force to be reckoned with in politics, which I like to think that, uh, Sibylla got that from her mom. Um, Zabel's daughter, Rita, married a nobleman and didn't really do much with her life, but that's fine. I'm glad she had an unremarkable life, um. Zabel's son, Leo, succeeded to the throne and much like his parents and his grandfather, his rule was quite good. He did a good job. Uh, he was a fantastic military leader who made the country rich and powerful. But uh, it would be Leo's sons that caused a lot of problems for the country as they fought amongst themselves over the throne before Leo was even cold in the ground. Um, Zabel's second son, Thoros, died tragically in battle against the Mongol army in his 20s. Um, her daughter, Zabel, died unmarried... In her twenties, and Zabel's youngest daughter, Marie, would end up marrying a nobleman from Cyprus and had a very unremarkable life, which I love for her. You know, good for Rita and Marie having nothing bad ever happened to them. <laughs> good good for them. Alright, uh getting into legacy, now, even though Zabel didn't exercise much power and was thrown into like the political playing board before she could like even talk i think if you read between the lines you really get the sense that Zabel kind of like matured from this like scared little girl caught in politics to a powerful young queen who ruled well and ensured a smooth succession and dealt with all the politics going on around her the best that she could and i think that's what's really important to me in her story like she clearly had a lot of agency. She ran away from her regent and locked herself in a castle at 10 years old. That's fucking badass. I don't care if she wasn't leading armies and shit. That's fucking cool. Go Abel. <laughs> now, thank you guys so much for joining me. I will see you guys in two weeks with a brand new episode. Actually, technically one week because I missed the week because I had to move. Anyway, I will see you guys soon with a brand new episode. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at rain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. Alright, uh, bye!